Well, today, I am not planning on tiptoeing through the tithers. Remember years a commercial years ago that they put in there, put a tiger in your tank. You remember that? Put a tiger in your tank? I did, and he ate off my muffler. <laughs> Got an interesting subject I want to talk to you about because I think it's so important. Uh, turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. 1 Corinthians in chapter 4. We'll be looking at quite a few scriptures this morning. And I want to talk to you on the subject of something you've heard about but maybe not really understand. How many have you ever heard the word tithing? Let me see your hand. You've heard the word tithing. How many of you think it's a nasty word? No, 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 no. <laughs> 1 Corinthians in chapter 4, look in verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. Do you believe that? It is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So we are to be faithful. Plus, I also know, according to the Word of God, I'm supposed to teach the whole counsel of God. But there is one issue I very seldom ever speak on. I haven't spoken on it very much since I've been here, hardly at all. But I do believe that it is in the Bible and that I should cover it. So I'm going to tell you what the Bible says from how I see it. And everybody has to deal with whatever they believe they need to either correct or not correct or, you know. I can't apply it to people's lives. Only you can do that. But I want you to take your Bible now and turn to the book of Luke. The book of Luke in chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. It's a little short passage, but it deals with a subject of stewardship. We are not owners of what we have. We're stewards of it. I believe that everything that I have belongs to the Lord. My kids... My house, my car, everything I got, it belongs to the Lord. I'm just using it while I'm here. And so it helps you to understand, for example, like I got a house up there in Georgia. And uh, got renters. They may wreck my house. But I look at it this way. That's God's house. And if they wreck it, God will get them for wrecking his house. I like that a lot better than I don't have to take vengeance on anybody. Now, sometimes I've had things happen, and I feel that God wants me to be the avenging angel. Luke chapter 12, look at verse 42. There's four different kinds of stewards that I want to kind of bring to your attention here very quickly. You decide which one you are. You will be one of these. Number one, in verse 42, and the Lord says, who then is that faithful and wise steward? So you know this is about a faithful, wise steward, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his house to give them their portion of meat in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Ah, isn't that wonderful? The good steward, the faithful steward. You see, you're just dispensing that which God has blessed you with. Now you look down in verse 45, but, and if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delayeth his coming. So we have a delaying steward. You know what? I'm going to 
but not yet. I'm going to, but not yet. You delayed. Did you know that delayed obedience is disobedience? Would you agree with that? Delayed obedience is disobedience. When do you think God wants you to do what He tells us to do? I believe as soon as possible. Whatever it is God wants us to do, just do it. Delayed obedience. There's stewards that are delaying in the fulfillment of the will of God. They're always planning on it. It's kind of like a lost man who intends to get saved. You know, they're planning on getting saved. They're not planning on going to hell. And so the road to hell, we say, is paved with intentions. People always intending have you ever intended to do certain things, but you never get around to it? In our church one time, we had a bunch of little round things, and on it said, to it, T-U-I-T. Because everybody says, I'm going to do this when I get around to it. So I made up bunches of them. We had hundreds of them. We gave it to the people and said, now, you invite people to come to church because everybody said, I'll come to church when I get around to it. Well, so you're giving them around to it. So now they can come to church. You try to eliminate people's reasons, excuses for not doing what they're supposed to do. And so he says in verse 45, My Lord delayeth his coming and shall begin to beat the men servant and the maidens and to eat and drink and to be drunken. And so the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he's not looking for him, when he looketh not. You see, whenever you're really faithful in serving the Lord, you're looking for the Lord to come back. But are you so entangled with the affairs of this life that you kind of forget all about that? You focus only upon the here and the now. And you're going to do something for the Lord, but you just haven't got around to it yet. I think I need to make up some more of those. Look at number verse 47 and look at the third type of a steward. And that steward which knew his Lord's will prepared not. You know, word, sometimes you know, you know what God wants you to do. But you don't prepare yourself to do anything. You're not just delaying it. You're just not going to do it because you're not going to prepare it. You didn't prepare to be a Sunday school teacher. You can't work in Awana because you don't know what to do. And you can't be a missionary. You don't know what to do. And you can't do this because you don't know what to do. You do. You're always going to. You never get around to it. But you knew what God wanted you to do and just wouldn't do it. You see, a lot of people won't prepare themselves. And so they blame God when things go wrong because they don't understand that God's going to chasten. God's going to discipline. And that's what he does. And he will. But look at verse 48. Number four is the ignorant steward. You know, there's some who know the will of God and won't do it. There's other ones that are going to do it, but they just delay. It's a little slow, drag their feet. You can't always count on them because they're not always faithful. Once in a while, here and there, but not faithful. You can't depend on them. And then you have the ignorance. See there in verse 48? But he that knew not, he didn't know. So he was ignorant. So it's going to be taken into account because the responsibility is still there. And so as I read each one of those, which one were you? Now the subject we're going to talk about today is this little subject of giving money. We're going to have a church congregational meeting this afternoon. It deals with budget. Budget means what? Money. So, and money is, you know, where does it come from? And what do you do with it? What's the accountability? So that you understand. I don't touch the money here. I didn't when I came and I don't now. 
I don't write a check. I don't take up the offering. I don't make the deposits. I don't write the checks. And I'm so glad. Nobody can ever accuse me of embezzling any money. You can the elders, but you can't me. <laughs> so there is a responsibility, and it's very important. Now, what I want you to do is go all the way back to the book of Genesis 14. The book of Genesis and chapter 14. Now, Abraham lived 430 years at least from the time of the promise until the law was given. 430 years. So here's a time in Abraham's life, and it was before the law. So sometimes people say, well, okay, well, I don't believe in tithing because it was under the law. And we're not under the law. I am not under the law. I am under grace. Therefore, how do I determine how much I should give or not give? So everybody has to weigh this thing in their own mind and come to a conclusion so that you don't have a a guilty conscience that you did what you believed God wanted you to do. So what does God's word say? Well, let's just kind of follow it through the scriptures and see what he says. In Genesis in chapter 14, look there in verse 18, where it says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. Now, he's talked about in the book of um, Hebrews in chapter 7 about Melchizedek. And evidently he uh, could have been a pre-manifestation of the Son of God himself. There's some things that said about it that's awesome. But anyway, verse 19, And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him, Abraham gave him, tithes of all. And so in the New Testament tells us about Abraham paying tithes unto Melchizedek. So in the New Testament, in the church age, in the book of Hebrews, it tells us that this is what Abraham did. So he paid tithes in the book of Hebrews. When it says Abraham did this, so who told Abraham to do this? Well, I don't know. But a tithe usually means a tenth. And there were different kinds of tithes on different things that the Hebrew people could do, and they could give 30 to 40 percent. Time they had this tithe and that tithe and so forth. But now, it is important to understand what God says about this. So, this was uh, 400 and something years before the law. So, he couldn't say what he did because he was under the law. He wasn't under the law. Uh, look there in the book of Genesis in chapter 28. Genesis and chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, and look there in verse 20. Now, he had already had this same promise given to him that had been given to Abraham. So here Jacob is having this um, conversation. And it just talks about up there in verse 14. Let me just start up there. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee shall, in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That seed refers to Christ. And that tells you that in the book of Galatians in chapter 3. And then he says in verse 16, And Jacob awaked out of his sleep, and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. Then he says down here in verse 20, And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me, 
and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my Father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And, in verse 22, And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house, and of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. The tenth is the tithe. He says, I will give a tithe, a tenth, to the Lord. Now, this is before the law, but this was the form of giving that they came up with. So Abraham did it, and Jacob did it, and others have done it on down the line. Now look there in Leviticus chapter 27, the book of Leviticus in chapter 27. Leviticus chapter 27, and you'll notice there in verse 30, the last chapter in the book of Leviticus, or if you call it Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 27, look there in verse 30, and all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. And if a man will at all redeem out of his tithes, he shall add thereto the fifth part thereof. And concerning the tithe of the herd, or of the flock, even of whatsoever passes under the rod, the tenth shall be holy unto the Lord. He shall not search whether it is good or bad, neither shall he change it. And if he change it at all, then both it and the change thereof shall be holy. It shall not be redeemed. These are the commandments which the Lord commanded Moses for the children of Israel in Mount Sinai. So now the tithe became a part of the law and became a command. They were commanded to do this. So God taught the people how to give, what to give, from what source. So this is what God wanted them to do. Whatever it was, one-tenth belonged to the Lord. So God had Moses, he was going to have to build this tabernacle, and so everybody got together, and they did what they did, and they gave, and so forth. And the Bible says they had more than what they needed. Now, there's nobody who can make you do anything, and that I don't try to make anybody else do. I just know what I do, and I have no problem. I did when I first started. But I believe that the tithe is a good place for Christians to learn how to give, because most of them have no clue. Uh, most believed in just tipping the Lord like you would tip a waitress at a restaurant, you know, based upon the quality of the food and the service and so forth. And today they don't want a 10%, they want 20, 30, 40, 50%, you know. But um, when you can be more generous if you want to, but sometimes they, um, they'll even add gratuity on if you have so many people in a party. And to make sure that you do it, they add it to the bill. Isn't that wonderful? But they have a responsibility, they got bills to pay, so... People do this. Now, I want you to take your Bible, look in the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi in chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3, and that's the book right before Matthew. It's the last book in the Old Testament, and that's on page 982 in a church Bible, one of those that are in the pew there that you can look on. But make sure you look at your scriptures. Don't just listen to me talk. Look at the scripture. Look in the Bible. And I would say that after 53 years, I have studied it a little bit so that I would understand what is a, the proper position of us today. When Betty's dad, who came out of a Southern Baptist church, 
at that time, and he was a good soul winner. He led me to Christ. But there was always under the habit of giving a tithe. He tried to tell me that. And I used to not go to church at all. I didn't give anything. And I thought, I'm not giving my money anywhere to anybody. I work for it, it's mine. I knew nothing about giving anything to the church. I didn't do it. So he had his hands full trying to teach me, convince me. So it wasn't easy at the very beginning. And so sometimes, you know, you think, okay, well, often plate comes by. If I give him a quarter, if I give him a, a 50 cents or a, even a dollar, I mean, after all, that's more than you had. So I, uh, I struggled with it. But I didn't know a proper way to give. How do you determine? Or why? And uh, I didn't know anything about this sowing and reaping business. I had never heard anything about give cheerfully. I never gave cheerfully. <laughs> give cheerfully. And bountifully and all that stuff. I had never heard those words like that before. And uh, so I struggled with it. But I have learned that over the years, it would be better for me to go ahead and do what I believe what God's word said until I like it. Give until I like it. And I have learned to like it, to love it. Because I found out that God's way seems to work a lot better than if it was just left up to me to decide. There would be no consistency There'd be no faithfulness to it at all. So anyway, let me show you that. In Malachi chapter 3, God says that one of the reasons that you're having such a hard time, he says, because you forgot about me. I mean, they had their homes and they had their vineyards. They had their crops. They had their cattle. They had everything. But see, they didn't have, they didn't have that giving spirit. They, they didn't want to keep the law. They didn't want to obey the law. So you mean they've been out of the land for a long time and years are passing by and from this time until Christ came another 400 years in there? I mean, after a while, you know, you kind of get away from what does God say? And so is there a remedy for this thing? Yeah, there was a remedy. So he says there in verse 8, look in verse 8, Will a man rob God? Can you picture a man with a six-gun walking up to God? Okay, stick him up. This is a robbery. Now give me all your money. Will a man rob God? Isn't that a good question, though? Will a man rob God? They say, well, where, how do we rob you? And so he says here, but you say, wherein have we robbed thee? He says, in tithes and offerings. Offering, see, is above the tithe. A lot of people give an offering. They offer it and consider that their tithes. I've always held that my offerings that I give are to be over and above my tithes. So I would always give a tenth, whatever I make. I mean, when I was going to Bible school, and I mean, we were dirt poor and didn't have anything, I'd always give my tithes. And if I didn't have something else, I just didn't have it. And we did it out without a lot. There were times when I would have to walk to school over a mile, and I would walk back because I didn't have money to put gas in my car. And I did the same thing to work. But whenever I got any money, the Lord got the tithe. Because I felt, what if every Christian did like me and didn't do it? God's work would never get done because most people would reason in their mind. I don't have to. Therefore, anything I give, he ought to be glad. All right? You can think that away. But you don't understand the biblical principle of why you should give. 
and give faithfully and consistently between you and God? Do you do what you believe God really wants you to do? Have you learned the value of learning how to sow so that you can reap? Now, look what he says here. In Malachi chapter 3, in verse 9, he says, You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Then he says in verse 10, Bring you all the tithe into the storehouse. Now, I'm not saying the church is a storehouse. All I know is we have a place where God says we're to bring our money on the first day of the week, Corinthians 16. Bring it and trust the Lord that lot can be accomplished because of what has been given. And so he makes a statement, goes down to here, and he says, and he says, and see if I will not open up a window. Now, in the New Testament, in Romans chapter 15, he says, now, the Old Testament scriptures are given that we may learn how to serve God. What God has done. There's principles laid down. Christ, when he came, did not say he came to destroy the law, but to what? Fulfill the law. Whenever you trust Christ as your Savior, we're not under the law, but we are under grace. And if you're under grace and you live by love, then love means that you fulfill the law. I fulfill the law because of love. Love, and I want you to see this. Look over there in the book of Romans in chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. When he makes this statement here in verse 8. Romans 13, verse 8, Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath done what? Well, we're not under the law, so we don't have to love. You hear people all again, well, we're not under the law. We're not under the law, so we don't have to give. Well, wait a minute. That's not what the Bible says. Now, we, sometimes like this, I tell people, sometimes people's morality will dictate their theology. What is it? One that pleases you or one that pleases God? Do you really do what God wants you to do? And is your conscience clear that whatever it is, you can answer all of these scriptures? And don't think for a moment that there's verses in the Bible that talks about giving that I don't know about. I've read them all. I've read before the law, during the law, after the law. I know about law. I know about grace. But I know that if I was to live by grace, means to live because I love the Lord because of what He's done for me, it says the righteousness of the law will be fulfilled. Not by us, but through us because of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. So God teaches us principles on how to live. Things to do and things not to do. So he makes this statement also. You'll notice where he says in verse 9, For this thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. Wait a minute, is this law or not? You ever heard this before? This is in the book of Romans. This is to the New Testament church. Thou shalt not covet. Oh, you mean we're not under the law, so it's okay to covet now. And it's okay to commit adultery now. And it's okay to steal now. It's okay to kill now. Why? Because we're not under the law. Would you agree with that? No, and if people think about things, it would help you to see this. So look what verse says in verse 10. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the what? There's those words again. Fulfilling of the law. Well, we're not under the law, but how do you fulfill the law? 
because of what Christ did for us. We do what we do, not because you have to, but because you want to. The reason I don't commit adultery is not because the Bible says thou shalt not commit adultery. The reason I don't commit adultery is because I love the Lord and I love my wife. You see, love is greater than the law. That's why the grace living and love living can help me to do things the law could not do. And that it was weak through the flesh. But through the spiritual birth, you can do more than you ever thought possible. So love is the fulfilling of the law. So when you love the Lord, well, what was the principle he laid down in giving? Well, he does it. So take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter 9. 1 Corinthians in chapter 9. You'll notice when he's talking to the Corinthians about the principle of giving, he also refers to something else in the Old Testament. Look what he says in verse 7. In verse 7, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Who goeth a warfare any time at his own charge? Who planteth a vineyard and eateth not of the fruit thereof? Or who feedeth a flock and eateth not of the milk of the flock? Say I these things as a man, or, you got to underline these words, or it saith not the law, the same also? Is he referring to the law to explain something in the New Testament? Look what he says. For it is written in the law of Moses, Thou shalt not muzzle the mouth of the ox that treadeth out the corn. Doth God not take care? Doth God not take care for oxen? In verse 10, or saith he it altogether for our sake. In other words, something said in the Old Testament about not muzzling the ox that treads out the corn, and he said it for our sake. So there are things that we learn that were written in the Old Testament that can help us. So am I under the law? No, I'm not under the law. But I am under grace. And now I do it because I want to. I do it because I love the Lord. And therefore, I like that principle a lot better than I have to do it. I like it because I want to do it. But a lot of times, you know, you might struggle with this here. Well, what if I don't want to? Learn to do what is right when you don't want to do it. And it becomes such a habit. It becomes part of you. And after a while, it's not so hard after all. And if you can become faithful in that which is a little bit, you can become faithful in that which is more. But look what he says. In verse 10, Or saith he it altogether, For our sake, for our sakes, no doubt, this is written, that he that ploweth should plow in hope, and that he that thresheth in hope should be partakers of his hope. If ye, or we, if we have sown unto you spiritual things, is it a great thing if we shall reap your carnal things or your material things? If the preacher preaches you spiritual truths, is it wrong for him to live off of the means by which you give of material things? It's the book. It's the book. God's laid it down. Paul says, if there's anything that I'm wrong in, he says, I'm wrong in this area. He says, I, I robbed you of that. I cheated you out of that because I would not be chargeable to anybody. And I made tents on the side and I did everything so that somebody couldn't say he did it for money. So Paul had to deal with this. So he says up here in verse 12, If others be partakers of this power over you, are not we rather? 
Nevertheless, we have not used this power, but suffer all things. And here's the reason. Lest we should hinder the gospel of Christ. Verse 13. Do ye not know that they which minister about holy things live of the things of the temple, and they which wait at the altar are partakers with the altar? That's Old Testament principle. Because, you see, the tribe of Levi didn't actually have to own the land. and let it. They were given all this stuff because they had a, a ministry to do. And the other 11 tribes would bring, and they lived off of what they brought. But they had a responsibility to fulfill. So he says in verse 14, now look in verse 14, very important verse. Even so hath the Lord ordained that they which preach the gospel should live of the gospel. So... We go by what the book says. So there's principles God's laid down. Now take your Bible and turn to the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians in chapter 8. Look there in verse 10. Now you know verse 9, he says, For you know that God sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world, and though he was rich, he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. So he's talking to them here in verse 10. And herein I give my advice, for this is expedient for you, who have begun before not only to do, but also to be forward a year ago. So a year ago, we had a congregational business meeting. And every year we have a congregational business meeting. And each year we try to see what can we do? What is our responsibility? Well, here they were talking about they had committed themselves to do certain things for a year and a year ago. Then notice what he says. Very important. He says in verse 11, Now therefore perform the doing of it, that as there was a readiness to will, so there may be a performance also out of that which you have. In other words, first of all, you decide in your mind. A readiness to will. I want to do this. I'm ready to do this. He said, now perform. Do what you know you should do. And some people commit themselves to this is what I'm going to do. Probably 50 years ago, I committed myself that for the rest of my life, I will always give at least a tithe and my offerings are over that. And that really watches. Now, see, what a lot of people do is they take vacations on God's money. They buy new houses on God's money. They buy cars on God's money. They buy TVs on God's money. And they can get the internet on God's money. And they do all this stuff on God's money. And then they say, well, I can't afford to tithe. Well, slap my mouth. Every person needs to re-examine themselves. Now, I know this is not the best sermon I've ever preached in my life. But it is one of the most difficult sermons. Because I know that I'm dealing with people who are always struggling with money. Everybody has to struggle on how you get it, and what you buy, what you give. But God has something wonderful in store for us. If you see the principle of the giving, of what He wants. Now look what He says here in verse 12. Verse 12 says, For if there be first, you ought to underline that little word, first, First, a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to the, that he does not have. 
And then he says in verse 13, For I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened, but you know what you have, and it's not to be carried by just a few people, but by all of God's people. So, proportion-wise. Now, I also want you to see this. In chapter 9, look in chapter 9, and look there in verse 6. Verse 6. There's a wonderful principle here, if God's people could learn it, because he's talking to some people there in Corinth. And he's telling them, this is the principle. I want you to learn this. He says, but this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. Is this about sowing and reaping? Sowing and reaping. And get what he says. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap. What? Now, I didn't write this, but do you believe it? It's in the book, but you got to believe it. Some people are afraid to trust God because they don't see how God's going to do it. That's not your responsibility. You just faithfully do what God says to do and then let him work out however he wants to do it. And there's been times, yes, when I've wondered. But you see, the church as a whole would be blessed when all of God's people did exactly what God says to do. You'd be surprised what we could do. But, for example, if you don't believe that a person should tithe at least that much, you better be thankful for the ones who do believe it. Or there would not be a ministry here. There wouldn't be a ministry if it wasn't for the people who believed that they should tithe, at least. Because, see, that's the ones who keeps the doors open. It's not going to be because of people just not doing anything. I'm so glad and so thankful there's just some people who believe that what I have belongs to the Lord. And I'm going to trust Him. And they invest. This is the best investment you can ever have in your life. This is better than the stock markets. This is better than gold and silver. Because, you see, the investment you make in the things of the Lord is something God's going to reward you for for all eternity. As the Apostle Paul says, that fruit may abound to your account. All those people who trust Christ as Savior, there's fruit that may abound to your account because of all the concerns that you have. Now look what he says here. Look in verse 7. Every man according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Now, I don't tell a person how much they should give. I simply say, under the law and before the law, that's what they gave. I simply believe it's a good principle to give. It's a good average for me to figure out. And therefore, I do it because I want to. I hardly ever call what I give a tithe. I just know how much it is, and I want to do at least that much. Because if they could do that under law, why shouldn't I at least do that much under grace? Because of all that he's done for me. And I believe that if I take a tenth of whatever God gives to me. And I invest it into his work. Like he says. I believe that if I do it willingly. I believe he's going to bless the 90% that I have left in a greater way. Because if I have the wisdom to give him a tenth. I believe he'll increase my wisdom to do more with the 90 that's left. 
But if I cheap it all, my judgment wasn't good. My wisdom wasn't discerned. And therefore, I will not make the wisest decision with the left, whatever I kept. And God says, you can lose what you have. And you'd be like putting it in a bag full of holes. Putting your wealth in a bag that has holes in it. And you'd be surprised how you can lose so much. And you wonder why. How come I can't never get ahead? There might be a reason. I don't know. But look what he says here. Look what he says here in verse 7. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, like, well, it's the law and i got to do that. No, no, no. He says, but of a cheerful heart, out of necessity. He says, for God loveth a cheerful giver. When you give, do you do it cheerfully? Or do you give it like, I'm going to get the back. Cheerful giver. Because you know why you do it. And you know that God in heaven will give you greater wisdom to use what you have left. Because, see, what you give and you do it for the Lord, God knows why you did it. And God's going to bless you because you did it. But if you give it because you're going to run to the bank tomorrow and see if somebody deposited $1,000 in your account, or you run into the mailbox to see if there's a big check in there for you, you don't get it yet. That may never happen. But the results from your gift may be that a lot of people trust Christ as Savior, or they hear it on the Internet, or they hear it on the radio. And what we're talking about is this. Even when we look at our budget this afternoon, do you realize that what we do for the radio ministry is separate from our church. And separate from our church, it's over $10,000 a month just for our radio broadcast. And in three and a half or four years, that's almost a half a million dollars. Can you believe this little church paying over almost a half a million dollars for airtime and for Greg to work on I don't get one cent from that. I don't want to. I told them that whenever I came here, all of my messages, the CDs, whatever they do, the DVDs, all those things, the church makes all the profit from that. I don't make a cent from that. Because I have learned over the years, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And you'd be surprised how God will bless you if you learn this principle. But nobody can make you apply it. Because, you see, you have to believe that there are going to be blessings that I'm going to get. And I don't understand how God's going to do it. All I know is I'm going to trust Him. And I do it. Look what else he says before we close here. Down in verse 8. And God, get this. Now this is so important because this is at the basis of all of this. God is able to make all grace abound toward who? Toward you. God is able. Do you think God knows what you do and don't do? Does God know how much you give and don't give? Do you give what you believe God tells you to give? It has nothing to do with the preacher. It has nothing to do with the elders. It has nothing to do with the deacons. It's you as an individual. You and God. But look what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, you, having always all sufficiency, enough, in all things, May abound to every good work. You take it any way you want. Believe it any way you want. But it says it. Now, we can twist things, and we often get on those people out there that twist the gospel and try to add works to it or change it in some way. 
But there's Christians who put a twist and a spin on things because they really don't believe what God says it will work. Therefore, because they don't trust them, they rob from God. They steal from God. They rob from their own church. They steal from the church. What belongs to the church? I'm not God, and I'm not the Holy Spirit. But I have a responsibility to teach God's people the truth as I see it in this book. Do you want me to do that or not? And look what he says. In verse 9, as it is written. Now he's going back to an Old Testament scripture. He that dispersed abroad, he that hath given to the poor his righteousness, remaineth for how long? What you do lasts for eternity. Last from now on. And look what else he says in verse 10. Now he that ministered seed to the sower, both minister bread for your food, and multiply, get this, multiply your seed sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. You figure it out. Do you believe that you should give to the Lord's work? You believe you should give to the church? You rest in your own conscience because that's where it has to begin. When a man on his own purposes in his own heart, this is what I believe is right, and this is what I'm going to commit myself to do, and I'm going to do that. So for 50 years, I've kept my word to God. I made a vow, and I don't like lying. I don't want to lie to God. I said, Lord, I'll give one-tenth of everything I have, and then... Whatever I can, I'll even give more. But at least that much, I do. Do you have to do that? You don't have to do anything. When the plate comes by, you can take some out. It's for the heathen anyway. <laughs> I better stop that before y'all take me seriously. It'll be the only thing you take seriously on me. So you see, giving isn't a bad thing. It's a sign of you trusting God, and He's able to take what you sow and multiply that and make sure that everything you have is sufficient for you to do what God wants you to do. If you can believe it, you won't have no problem giving. But if you have questions and doubts in your minds, you won't. And it can affect every other area of your life. Because if you won't be wise to give to God what God tells you to give, you won't be wise in the 90% that's left. And if you kept all of it, you'll have less. You'll have less. Well, the 100% than 90% when you do what's right by God. I've tried to be honest with you. This is you and me. This wall represents sin. We all have sin on us. Everybody's a sinner. But God says that to pay for this sin is eternal separation from God in a place called hell. He loves us. Wants us to go to heaven. And to go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. But you see, we're in debt. We have a debt we cannot pay. So what Christ says is you cannot pay for your sins by your good deeds. Good work won't pay for sin. So this hand representing Jesus Christ, He's the Lord God in the flesh, came into the world because He loves us, hates our sin because it separates us from Him. So Jesus Christ took all that sin, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead and said, if we would believe that He did it for us, He would put this payment to your account and you get to go to heaven on what Jesus Christ did for you. Do you believe that? So once you believe it, God gives you the free gift of everlasting life and you go to heaven whenever you die. You don't have to give any money. 
You don't have to join the church. You don't have to be water baptized. You don't have to change anything. Stop anything. All you have to do is receive something. Receive what He offers. He offers you eternal life as a gift. It's free. And I pray that if you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, that you would. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I hope that what I've said this morning, you understand. You can decide for yourself what you do. Nobody's going to be coming to your house and giving you a card, getting you to promise this and that and the other. But would you just talk to the Lord? And if you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, don't you think that's an important thing? He paid for your sins, and He will save you and give you eternal life if you trust Him. If you will trust Him, I'd like to know, and I'd like to have prayer for you. And so this has bowed and eyes closed. Anyone at all before we close, say, yes, that made sense to me, and I will trust Christ as my Savior this morning. And preach I'd like you to pray for me. Would you slip you in it very quickly and put it right back down? If you've never trusted the Lord, do it now. It's the most important thing you can ever do. It's free. It's a gift. Anyone at all. With head still bowed and eyes closed, what would you promise God for one year? One year. Just do it mentally in your own mind. Is there anything you need to change or correct? Has God brought something to your attention? Are you willing to do what He wants you to do? I pray that you do. Our Father, we thank You so much for this time together. Bless each one. Lord, I love these people, and I want Your richest blessings upon them. I don't want there to be any reason for you to hold back on giving them all that they can have. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.